Two humorous nurses would like to acknowledge the true custodians of the land in which we record our podcast, the Yorta Yorta people. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We're so excited for this episode to be sponsored by eNurse. eNurse is Australia's leading one-stop nurse shop. eNurse specialises in everything a nurse or nursing student would need to survive. From comfortable, stylish and keep you cool under pressure elite care scrubs to handheld study guides, nursing equipment and even a travel coffee mug for those long commutes. eNurse will be your new favourite online shop for all things nursing. Head to www.enurse.com.au and use our code HUMOROUSNURSES for a cheeky discount. Humorous Nurses with Kelly and Alicia, the podcast that gets a thrill from the kill. Kill, kill, kill. <laughs> Welcome to Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to bring you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nurses. And killing. Boom. Nurses who kill, baby. Baby. can't believe we're doing our sixth. I can't believe it's only been six. Really? I guess it's t- that's, that's ten, like, ten killers. Yeah, I think, because two of them was like, or one of them was... So we've done 10 killers. Done 10 killers. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, crazy. Wait, who have you got today? I actually know nothing about yours. I normally uh, know nothing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I have. So I picked a um, quite a recent case and okay. then I couldn't find any information on him. Of course. Oh, because like. Was it still open? The yeah, it hasn't even like. Yeah, right. yeah, like I think it was 2020. Right. And I was like the headline sucked me in. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, I can't, this is not good. So anyway, I picked another recent case who also is still open and also doesn't have a lot of information, but the story. <laughs> okay, I can't wait. Oh, I love these. It was like too good not to share. Okay. All right. You ready? I'm, mate. Pumped. Amy Murray, a 40-year-old prison nurse who worked at Jefferson City Correctional Facility in Missouri. Missouri. There's a lot of words I like to say there. <laughs> <laughs> She's been charged with poisoning her husband and setting her house on fire to cover up the act. Uh, she's been charged with first-degree murder and arson and some other little things, but we'll do that at the end. Okay. This story has a plot for a Lifetime Channel movie. Whoa, really? Like I, if they don't make one. Oh, as in, oh, okay. So like, you're telling me that they're actually going to make one. No. like Oh, okay. It, like, it does. Yeah. Right. And it happens so close to Christmas. It could be a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> You'd like that, wouldn't you? Yeah. There's actually two, like, like this happens in December, but there's a, like, a little plot twist in there that happens on Christmas. Oh, my God. Yeah. All, I'm all excited. It. Is it snow this in Missouri? This is all up your alley. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Right. So in the early hours of the 11th of December 2018 in Iberia, Missouri, which is a small town of only a few hundred people, the Murray's house was burning down. Okay. The neighbours reportedly called 911 around uh, 2 a.m., when the firefighters arrived, they found Amy and her son and their dogs outside <laughs> safe. Okay. Uh, but she had they, time to get the dogs. Yeah, they discovered the body of Joshua Murray in his bed. The article that I read said lifeless and charred. Mm. <laughs> like I thought that was necessary. <laughs> we all pictured that, didn't we? <laughs> like. Uh, Amy told investigators that she and her 11-year-old son had done a run to Macca's and was returning home, found the house on fire. Said it was too late to try and enter the house to save her husband because the smoke was so thick. Right. 
Also, the articles don't say Macca's run. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> Sounds about right. They say McDonald's trip. <laughs> Josh was a lifelong Missourian and over the days that followed his death, condolences poured in for Amy and her son. However, police say there was one man close to Amy, dun, 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 Eugene Claypool. He wasn't that upset by the events. Mm. Claypool was in love with Amy. Mm-hmm. The two had been having an affair for quite some time. They met at Jefferson City Correctional Facility. Oh, God. Do we know where this is going? Yeah. Yeah, fun fact. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. This prison is located on No More Victims Road. What? In South Missouri. <laughs> what a name. What a name. What a name. No More Victims Road. No. Well, turns out there were more victims. Anyway. <laughs> Amy was a nurse there. She'd been there for a couple of years. And Claypool, he was an inmate. Mm. He was doing 25 to life for second degree murder. Uh, this story is not about his murder, but I'm going to tell you what he did anyway. Okay, he murdered a 72-year-old disabled man, Donald Hardwick. Donald had made the headlines for winning $1.7 million in the lottery in nineteen eighty. Sorry, 1999. Claypool and another man broke into his home on Christmas Day in 2000 in search of cash they believed was in his home. They believed he had about $150,000 cash in his house. They woke him accidentally and then um, the Claypool's partner held him down and Claypool like stabbed him to death. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, They just left the house with 36 bucks. Yeah. Worth it. Worth it. His wife woke Christmas morning because she was living the dream um, of sleeping in a separate bedroom to her husband and noticed a broken window. So she went into her husband's room to tell him but found him dead on the bed with a Bible on his chest. What the fuck? Yeah. Anyway, so he, he'd gotten, yeah, like 25 to life right. for second-degree murder. Yeah, and he meets Amy because she's the nurse. She's the nurse. Yeah. So she had um, – they'd been having this affair – while he's for a couple in jail. of years while he's in jail. So right. he's an inmate. Love that yep. for her. So Amy Murray had been recorded on the telephone, prison telephones, right. telling Claypool that she wanted a divorce from Josh. Mm-hmm. They'd been married since 2003. Um, they had a son together and a couple of dogs, but she was like wanting out. Mm-hmm. After that phone call, not long after that phone call, Josh was dead. Right. I don't know why these women just don't divorce them. Anyway. There was another recorded phone call after Josh's death where Amy told Claypool that his death meant they could now be married because he was out of the picture. Mm. They also discussed getting an attorney so that he could be released from, like, prison early because he was due for parole to come up at some point in the near future. So she was going to get him an attorney so he could be out so he could be married and live a long, happy life. There were some questions. The investigators were questioning the story from quite early, like before they even realised that there were these recorded phone calls, yeah. um, an autopsy showed that Josh wasn't killed by the fire. That he was actually dead before the fire oh. started um, and that he had been poisoned with antifreeze. What's antifreeze? Uh, it's a stuff that you put into a – so it must, it must snow in Missouri – put into water and cooling and stuff in cars to stop it from freezing. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there's new antifreeze out. I did a little bit of research. I forgot to write okay. down the name, but <laughs> – um, that is not as toxic as right. this old stuff. 
Um, but there is obviously still the toxic stuff. In a probable cause statement by the Miller County Sheriff's Office, arson investigators also found the fire was intentionally set in the bed in the master bedroom. Where he was sleep, where he was dead. Dead, yeah. So they quickly started, the investigators started to put together Amy's story. They questioned her late night Macca's run because she had told them that when she got home the house was already on fire and she couldn't actually get mm. into the house. And they very quickly thought that's bullshit because there was a half-eaten burger sitting on the counter inside Ooh. the house. Um, what a rookie. I know. And I'm also sitting here going, is burning your house down the answer? Like, Is killing your husband the answer? Kill him. Kill him. Shit. Throw him down some stairs. Yeah. Probably I don't know. Like, I mean, don't even kill him. Like, probably, yeah, just divorce him. <laughs> just leave. Like, She's burned her house down oh. with all her possessions and a burger that she didn't finish. Yeah. Come on, not worth it. Um, so the surveillance footage at the Maccas revealed that Amy, her son, and their two dogs did oh. do a late night Maccas run, but it was much earlier than she led them uh-huh. to believe. It was about 11.30 and there's um, her neighbour neighbours had said that they had seen her in the house at about 1.30, which was like half an hour before they had to call for the fire brigade. So, you know, your story's already fallen apart pretty bloody early. In the days after, because Josh was such a well-known person, I guess Missouri is quite small, the town they live in is Mm. quite small, Um, there had been some GoFundMe set up for the family. There was, like, heaps of mourners. Um, Everyone gave, like, wholehearted support to, like, Amy and the kid. Well, they would have been homeless too. Yeah, and, like, what a tragic way to lose. She killed her son's dad as well. I know, and he was there. That's fine. She was like, oh, we, we need to go get some Maccas. Go stand outside with yeah. the dogs while I torch your father. Yeah. <laughs> so she was arrested in February of 2019 and charged with first-degree murder and arson. And then I did a bit of digging to see what she was actually charged with. Mm, uh, sentenced. Yeah, yeah, sentenced with. So the last update that I found was in December of 2022 <laughs> and she was still waiting to Sentencing. even go to trial. Oh, my God. She hadn't been to trial yet. It had been delayed multiple times. Because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, but this this was like a year before COVID oh, yeah. even came out. So she's still in jail. Originally her bail was set at like $750,000 mm. and then it was reduced to $50,000 cash, but mm-hmm. obviously no one could cough that up mm. for her. So she's still imprisoned or in custody, whatever you want to call it. Um, and her trial has been set for October this year. You know what she'll get? She'll get time served. Actually, if this was Australia, she'd get time served and then be yeah. laid out. If, <laughs> Over there, in the US, probably, she'll be there forever. Yeah. And um, I did read one article which made me laugh so hard because it was like, you know, she she was like wanting to get an, uh, an attorney to get her lover out of prison, but he'll probably get out of prison before she will. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he'll get her an yeah. attorney. He'll be like, hey, bitch, how do I know yeah. you're not going to do this to yeah. me in five years? Um, also, on a side note to her separate murder charges, She'd been charged with um, first-degree sexual abuse and three counts of offender abuse for the affair that she had with Claypool because they had sex on three different occasions in the prison. Is it, how is that and abuse? And that's illegal How's her, because her? it's a power position. She's yeah. she's a, a like the power play. Power, in, yeah. You can't have sex with inmates. Yeah, yeah. It would be like you having sex with a patient. Would it? Yeah, like you, as a nurse, you can't have sex with a patient in no, the hospital. I, I, yeah, okay. 
Like that could I mean, be I considered know that. I know that. I'm just abuse. thinking like. Because you've got the power play. I mean, obviously it's consensual. Maybe, yeah. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's a, That's interesting. It's that power dynamic. Mm. You've, you've taken it away. Like, mm. And just because it's a woman and a male inmate. You know, yeah. I suppose I you do we think kind of, of think differently, of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, she mm. she has pled not guilty to every charge. What an idiot! <laughs> if you've learned nothing from like, you know, you always get things, a worse just, sentence if you do. Yeah, like it. Jen Shah from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. <laughs> she's pled not guilty, and now she's going to prison for six and a half years. <laughs> Jesus, idiot. Anyway, that's my very short. Like soap opera it's it. tale. <laughs> the moral of the story is don't kill your husband, just fucking leave him. I wonder I wonder what her career had been like up to that point. Like, I couldn't so I couldn't find anything about her employee. So she was employed through an agency that provided, uh, okay. provided healthcare people to like prisons and things like that, to so correctional facilities. Yeah, yeah. So she was employed by an external uh, and they just basically said that when they found out about these, they terminated mm. their employment. But there was no, there was no uh, workforce history provided to the like a journal because there's only articles about her. Like well, there's yeah. actually nothing yeah. concrete in there. So it's, I had to read like I read like twenty different articles <laughs> to try and find like snippets more, of stuff yeah, yeah, that yeah. was like New York Times is a good one. They always do like quite in depth. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know it's so interesting? So the person that I've chosen also killed in their personal life. Like it's yeah. weird that we've chosen. Similar, yeah, weird because I like, thought oh I f- we haven't yeah. had a prison guard. Mm. I like a prison nurse. Yeah, we always have them that kill patients, but I mean not all nurses that kill kill patients. Well, that's so right. Like, so then oh, I found this chick. Um, who this story, I think, oh, I mean, it, it's got just as much stupidity as yours, but um, more kind of thought-provoking. Are you getting sweaty armpits or sweaty balls walking to work in your scrubs? Well, every nurse needs a pair of scrubs that are breathable, super comfy and not clingy. Elite Care was designed by a nurse for nurses. They're 55% cotton blend, so they're cool and comfortable, durable, and have plenty of pockets. And when I say plenty, I mean like plenty. Pen loops, chest loops, everything for like your glasses, your name tags, and they have heaps of different designs. They're size inclusive up to a 5XL and have great colors. Anos have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, free shipping on orders over $150, and are packed within 48 hours of ordering. And they literally have everything you could ever need to do your job. Head to www.enurse.com.au to check out their whole range of elite care scrubs. Don't forget our code Humorous Nurses for a cheeky discount. Enurse loves our nurses. So I'm doing Maura Catherine Bannister. Um, so, and similarly to you, I found a lot of news articles and then couldn't find any information about the victim, couldn't find any information about Maura's like life before she killed, right? And then I thought, well, I know it happened in Queensland. I couldn't find like, and then Ooh, I Aussie, you love that. Yeah. So this happened in Queensland, and I'm like, well, I I know when it happened, and I know that it would have been a coroner's case. So I got onto the coroner's oh, court of Queensland, smart. and yes. I I literally typed in morphine because this was like the method of killing, and found like all of the coroner's inquest like information. Yeah. So and then I found the name of the victim and um and some more information about the killer. So I'm really excited about this one. So Mora. Maura Bannister. 
Born in 1961 and was first registered as an enrolled nurse in August 1998, so when she was 37. Oh. Couldn't find any more information about what had happened to her before yeah. 37 years of age, so before 98. But for some time up until uh, from 98 to August 2014, she was employed as an enrolled nurse at, at a Brisbane hospital. So this happened in Brisbane. At that time, her registration, so she did not have a medication endorsement, okay? Ian... Not medication endorsed. So um, I'm going to give you a bit of background to the victim and then the story kind of all comes together. So um, the victim's name was Betty and she was 87 when she died on the 16th of July 2014. So this lady, so Maura Bannister and this elderly lady, they were like family friends. So Maura was friends with Betty's daughter, right? Yeah. So um, Betty goes into hospital um, she's been unwell for some time, like lots of um, chronic conditions, um, like ischemic heart disease, chronic kidney disease and emphysema, right? And she was taking lots of medications at that time for different things. And I believe she was living in a nursing home prior to being admitted to the hospital. Um, she was also on warfarin for AF. On the 29th of June, 2014, so Betty was admitted um, to the Prince Charles Hospital with increasing shortness of breath. And on the 9th of July, she had a fall in the hospital. Yeah. They did a CT of her head and ruled out any um, intracranial pathology other than some like Alzheimer's changes or something. Um, then her treating doctor spoke with the family and the family were like, we'll take her home and she can receive like community palliative care in the home with yeah. us. The decision was made that she's probably not going to recover basically yeah. from this admission. I think she was admitted with um, like exacerbation of COPD on the background of her CCF and whatever. Like she was fucked basically. Um, but not so much so that they predicted she was going to die within a couple of days. Um, I think the family thought that she would be there for at least a few weeks or months and receive. So she was palliative, but she, she wasn't was, actively dying. No, correct. Mm. So um, she was discharged on the 10th of July 2014 into the care of her family. The family requested like referrals to the palliative care team and everything, um, which happened, but obviously these things take time. Good old public health system. <laughs> then Betty's daughter like looked after her. So I don't know what the daughter's name is, but she looked after her while um, like at her home, which was like an hour away from where she lived before in the nursing home. Yeah. So then Betty goes home with her daughter and the daughter's concerned that she is not receiving enough pain relief. Like I think she'd been discharged on some endone and it wasn't enough, right? Yeah. Then um, the doctor prescribed fentanyl lozenges and this is where the story gets a little bit kind of dicey and I'll get the nurse back involved soon. But um, So the family contacts the doctor, he prescribes fentanyl lozenges and then they like try to give them to her but she spits them out and stuff so it's not really working. The daughter had been given a heap of medications from the nursing home that Betty had been on. Some of those were fentanyl patches. But little did they know that she wasn't actually being actively prescribed those anymore and the family actually had no idea how to give any of these medications. Oh. So they'd been given like all these fentanyl patches, endone, fentanyl lozenges and then when the lozenges weren't working, the daughter contacted the GP again and this was all within like sort of uh, a couple of days after being discharged from hospital and he prescribed ordine oral liquid. So then um, – Within sort of 24 hours of this morphine, so the, the ordine was ordered at like one to two mils TDS, yep. right? Um, and then after 
in the investigation, it sort of came out that the daughter was like, I just assumed that that was like a, a rough guide. Like, <laughs> so the daughter just was like, suggestion. she's like, I think I gave her about four doses in that first day, like in the first oh, day where that she shit. received the morphine. And they, and so, which technically, like, I think about it in a hospital sense. I know that we're like monitoring the patients and whatever else, but if it's one to two TDS, then technically, like, you can have six mils. Mm. Over. Three times a day. Yeah. So that could be like one Spread mil out. six times a day, Te- yeah. like in my head. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so she was like, oh, I didn't realise. And then also thought that the then she applies a fentanyl patch and applies another one and doesn't realise that they're opioids. She thought they were for her heart. So actually had oh. no idea that then she's given her two fentanyl patches, which were like, I think they were big doses. Uh. And they weren't even being prescribed to Betty at the yeah. time of her admission to the hospital. So these are like old, old. stock. Um, so she's got two fentanyl patches in situ and having oral morphine and fentanyl lozenges, right? Then on the morning of the 16th, Betty's daughter um, – rings her friend Maura and yeah. says, I need you to come over because mum's breathing. There's something wrong. Like, so she was obviously chain staking and was like gurgling and had a lot of respiratory secretions and, and it was freaking the daughter out. So she rings Maura and she's like, I need you to come over. Like, I, yeah. don't, I don't know what the hell to do. So Maura comes over and, and her and um, the daughter had been having this conversation about how stressful it is and how she's not sure if she's even getting the full dose of morphine because some of it dribbles out and she mm. won't take the lozenges and all very confused and about how to deal with the situation. Yeah. They'd received no support from the GP. Like they hadn't had a home visit. It had been a few days since they'd been home from hospital and also then no palliative care like had contacted them or been there to support mm. them yet because they were new to the service. Sure. So then Maura decides that she's going to draw up a almost full syringe <sighs> and I don't know how big the syringe was. I couldn't find that in the notes. Draws up almost a full syringe of the ordine liquid and then gives it to the uh, gives it to Betty when the daughter's not in the room. So the daughter had given a dose at eight o'clock in the morning. Then at nine thirty, Maura gives this this other dose. Right? Then the, apparently that the, according to Maura, the daughter comes back in and gives another dose because she wasn't sure that the um, that her mum had received the full dose at eight o'clock in the morning. So there's all these like they basically don't know. But Maura came in and was like, basically, I'm gonna just fix this right. And she injected it really slowly. And she says this in her in the investigation like. And I'll explain what happens, but she is like puts the syringe to the back of Betty's throat and injects super, super slowly so that she's swallowing the entire amount. Yeah. Right. So then within sort of half an hour, I think it is, Betty dies. Oh, no shit. And Maura's there. Oh, it's happened. She's gone. Right. Everyone's distressed. They ring the doctor. Doctor says, just ring the ambulance. They'll need to confirm death. And then um, the ambulance said to oh and then the doctor said you'll need to ring the police as well right i don't actually know why is that new routine i think that's pretty standard yeah if you die in the community yeah without like palliative care service or whatever yeah right so the gp was like i'm happy to write the like death certificate just like call me when the ambos get there and and then let me know like the the police called the doctor doctor was happy they nothing suspicious they were they didn't know at the time that obviously that Maura had given that huge dose of morphine right yeah bear in mind not medication endorsed, right? So she's given... But not even there as a nurse. Not even there as a nurse. There as a friend, yeah. which I get like if I was coming to your place... On an already quite drugged woman. Mm. So 
then what happens is more at this is where the story gets so stupid great okay all done nothing suspicious here yeah. lady died she was likely oh, to die this is yeah. what's happened right then Maura goes to work the next day oh, doesn't keep her mouth shut and in she? the tea room she starts telling people I really think we need to be more open and honest about euthanasia I mean I helped a good friend's mother die yesterday and I think that it's something that we really need to be discussing uh, absolutely not then apparently she made a joke about being Dr Kevorkian and I had to Google who that is because I actually I'd heard it and I was like, okay, how is this relevant? Yeah. He was like a massive, massive like pusher for euthanasia uh. and used to actually euthanize his patients and was like um, reprimanded multiple times. I think this was a long time ago, so I don't know that he ever went to jail. But um, he, he would just assist suicide for people hmm. basically. Um, so she called it. She called herself Dr. Kowalki and called herself the angel of death. Ugh. Oh, God. Gross. Anyway, oh my so God. rightly so, her colleagues reported her. No, you should, Oh, thank God. Right. So then she's questioned by her manager. Like, I think it was like the director of nursing and someone from HR and then a representative. Because um, the hospital didn't report it straight away. They were like, let's give her an opportunity <laughs> to. Like maybe it's taken out of context. Maybe we haven't got the full story. What's happened? She divulges to them, well, it probably was murder really. Like she says that I'm pretty sure that what I've done can (laughs) probably be seen as murder. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, maybe you shouldn't come to work tomorrow. So then they ring the cops and that sparks the investigation on the 17th of July. So literally the next day. So then at the same time, the hospital, um, like the HR department, then they in, they start interviewing these nurses who've overheard everything and they document everything that they say in like electronic form, mm-hmm. right? Then they like, they sack her the next month. So they, they stand her down and then they sack her based on everything and then the investigation that's that's following. The hospital, like it was acknowledged by the coroner that the hospital did properly report everything like that. The coroner was happy with how they handled it. That's good. I wonder though, this like sparked a question for me, would the hospital have been so quick to report it if it had happened internally? Oh, yeah. I I mean, this is the age-old question, isn't it? It's like the question that seems to always come up when I – All of these, they all go – or they just get moved on. They go unreported, Mm. moved on, delayed reporting. I just – yeah. And then blame some bureaucratic process and then – Yeah. Yeah, I just – I. Yeah, they've done the right thing because they've heard something that happened in the community. But yeah. I wonder how many times have there been near misses or, or yeah. things that have happened in their facility. Yeah, I wonder if they went they back haven't. and had a look and saw what she was prone to doing or if well, she did anything while at work. if there is work. anything else. Has she had any misconduct at work? Yeah. Like I, there was nothing sort of mentioned. Yeah. And the coroner actually, like, so initially when she's when the police contact her to give evidence, she says no. The, and the daughter and the son-in-law... No comment, no comment based on legal advice. So I think they realised that they were culpable mm, yeah. because they actually had no fucking idea what they were doing, which is probably not their fault, but get educated if you're going to provide palliative care to somebody. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so they're like no comment, no comment, more as no comment. So then the investigation is not dead, but they they can't get any witness statements. They don't mm. know the timeline. They don't know what's happened. So they have to rely heavily on the autopsy. Um, the... The they seized all the medications and um, they found 182 grams of morphine being present, so about 175.9 mils of liquid, which I find so interesting because it's not equal. 
they contact the supplier, which is, this is a side note, they contact the manufacturer of the Ordine. There's a give or take of 14 mils in the bottle because they mm. need to make, yeah, so it's always 200 grams mm. or, or sometimes 200 milligrams, more. whatever it is. Yeah. But sometimes in more fluid, mm. which is so strange to me. Anyway, so they worked out that there's about 3.8 milligrams of morphine per, liquid, per mil of liquid in the autopsy. So in the autopsy, they... Um, and other post-mortem investigations, toxicology testing showed potentially fatal levels in Betty's blood of two opioids, the morphine and fentanyl. Oxycodone was also there, but within a range that was considered to be non-toxic. And I'll get into that a bit more. So they found they found eight mils of morphine in her gut alone. Oh, yeah. shit. Like when she died. didn't so, have time to process because it was only like half an hour. Literally, and like then she died. Mm, so, um, so she must have given her a fair... Dose. Whack. Well, that's right. So she doesn't actually know how much she so gave. So whether she, she gave just, like five or six meals in a five or six mil syringe and her daughter gave an extra one or two Well, mil. that's it. So that's why yeah. it's still a little bit ambiguous. Um, so because they were, they didn't give um, they didn't give evidence, mm. the um, the coroner or and no, the leading investigator determined that there was insufficient evidence to con- to con- um, consider any criminal charges. So this woman's died clearly from being overdosed, but they can't figure out who's done it. And you can't force them to talk? I know that was your right would be forced to fucking talk. You can be forced to talk, and this is what happened. So the coroner arranges an inquest based on what's happening with the investigation and also based on the findings from the autopsy, right? At the pre-inquest hearing, um, the coroner issues a non-publication order prohibiting the publication of any information identifying the deceased persons and all witnesses, including the um, Queensland Ambulance Services officers. Um, This was extended to including non-identification of the hospital where the enrolled nurse was employed. The non-publication order excluded the investigating officer and other uh, blah, 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 but is saying that they... No one should be publicising the victim's name. Like everybody was protected. Yeah. So to then encourage them to talk, to talk. they didn't. So then uh, interviews a stack, a stack and stack of people, um, like including a palliative care specialist, someone from the nurses' board, someone from the hospital, someone like literally yeah. like loads and loads of people. And the palliative care, um, I thought it was interesting to take some of the stuff from the palliative care specialist. Um, and they were saying that palliative care, and this I found this fascinating, palliative care is specifically provided for in legislation in Queensland. The Crimi- Criminal Code in Queensland, Section 282A, in summary provides that a doctor or someone authorised in writing by the doctor who hastens a patient's death through palliative care is not criminally responsible for the patient's death if the palliative care is to maintain or improve the comfort of a person who is subject to pain and suffering and provided in good faith and with reasonable care and skill and is reasonable and in accordance with good medical practice. Yeah. I think that's um, – I, I, I think you'll find that might be the same in most I think states. it is, which I can see what this means because like instigating, say, a syringe driver yeah. with morphine yeah, may yeah. actually hasten somebody's of course. death. And yeah. I think – that's why this exists, yes, I'm guessing, to protect, to protect the us for putting one So long one as we know that we're not giving eight mils of ordine exactly. on top of two so fentanyl patches mm. and a fentanyl lozenge. Yeah, you're right. You know, like we, we're doing – we've given someone two mil of ordine because they were breathing in distress. Yeah, exactly. The fact they died ten minutes later. Not your fault. No. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So on the autopsy, it showed multiple comorbidities and um, – 
An internal examination showed significant pre-existing natural disease, which we already knew. Um, and there were some diabetes-related changes, blah, blah, blah. Toxicology found both free and total morphine levels within the range considered potentially fatal. The total level in the liver was also high. Morphine is also was also present in the stomach. So indicating eight milligrams present oh, in yeah. the stomach, right? Um, fentanyl was also found within potentially fatal range um, and oxycodone was found in a therapeutic range. Panadol was at a low level. Blood samples... Uh, obtained from the hospital on the day of her recent admission um, showed non-toxic levels of any drugs, basically. Mm. Um, The forensic pathologist noted that the cause of death was best considered as undetermined. I'll explain why. They noted, however, that allegations of over-administration of medications were raised. Toxicology testing showed potentially fatal levels of of those drugs. And they were saying that um, they wanted a specialist opinion like yep. a specialist pharmacist or whatever because like metabolism changes as you get older yeah, yeah, and yeah. your gut doesn't empty as quickly and blah 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 so um especially if you're narked yes <laughs> and th- they were saying that um the reason that it was um an undetermined cause of death was because of all those comorbidities and there was uncertainty about the administration of the drugs so then an expert comes in and they were able to ascertain that at least 38 mils of liquid was missing from the oral morphine bottle and this was equivalent to a dose of 190 mm. milligrams. So that's in less than 24 hours, mm. which had only been dispensed for better, yeah, approximately 24 hours prior to her death. She'd been prescribed morphine one to two mil three times a day, so that would be a maximum of 30 milligrams a day mm-hmm. or six mil. So if 38 mils of morphine was administered to Betty in that 24-hour period, she would have received an amount of morphine that was more than six times the intended daily dose. They also said that the blood levels were consistent with excessive dosing and um, the fentanyl levels as well were super therapeutic and that the possible over-administration of the fentanyl patches and lozenges by the family combined with the overdosing of the morphine is likely what killed her, basically. Yeah. The GP was unaware that the family had um, the fentanyl patches. There was no prescription either for the fentanyl lozenges, which I find so strange. Like, they dispensed them straight from the doctor's clinic oh. to the family, like maybe because it was an extenuating circumstance oh, or maybe something. Maybe they have, like, a palliative care So they have, like, a, a drug cupboard. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they worked out that she had six lozenges in that tw- of, of two hundred mics of fentanyl. I didn't think she liked. I know, them. but that's I'm like I'm thinking about it from the daughter's perspective too. Like, what if she had like two or three sucks and then chucked it away? Like, how much fentanyl yeah. is she getting? And Do you know what I mean? Pleasant those lozenges. I don't think so. Yeah, they w- I wouldn't think they'd be. But yeah, they're saying that even um, if all of those unaccounted lozenges had been administered, this dose in isolation would have been unlikely to produce the toxicology level. No, okay, yeah. So then they talked about the combination of the fa- the patches with the yep. um, lozenges, and then they were saying that the because there were two fentanyl patches on Betty, the old one hadn't been removed, so she was likely getting like double dose mm. of the patch as well. So um, basically she's saying that the cause of death is um, she, her Betty's death resulted from a combination of those mixed opioids and her pre-existing injury. So then the coroner forces the family members to speak based under the – give evidence under the Section 39 of the Coroner's Act 2003 on the basis that it was in the public interest for the evidence to be heard but that any evidence given, including derivative evidence, could not be used against them in any criminal prosecution. So forces them to give evidence but protects them from being charged okay. with anything. Yep. Okay. So the daughter gives evidence and her ev- evidence is incriminating. 
like for herself basically yes. and also for um for Mora. So she said she was the primary giver of all the medications. She acknowledges that she didn't fully understand. Well, she also doesn't know that Mora gave that dose, does she? Well, or does she know that? She might know Actually, that that's then, a good question. I'll oh, better look at that. Cuz Mora wasn't present. I mean, so she was basically she acknowledges everything that we just talked about, the multiple phone calls to the doctors, the increasing all of her pain relief. So on the 16th of July, she says that her mother's breathing became laboured that morning, um, sounding rattling, and she was extremely distressed and frightened. At 9.30, she sat her mother up and green fluid came out of her mouth and called Maura then to come over, which they like verified with telephone records and stuff. She told Maura that she'd administered morphine at 8am but advised she was unsure how much she actually got and then at this point they discussed giving Betty an additional dose of morphine and she says the nurse drew this up using the same syringe she'd been using and gave it to her mother. So she was there but she didn't know how much was in there. The daughter said some of this drooled out. At this point the daughter stated she personally was extremely distressed and crying. Um, The daughter went to take a shower and her husband arrived. When she returned from her shower her mother had passed away. So yeah. she wasn't present when she died. Um, she said that she didn't think that there was any like Is anything she? untoward. Yeah. yeah. Then the nurse um, Mora gives evidence. She provided an unsworn statement. The others provided sworn statements. I think it's very odd. Anyway, mm. and she is it's so funny because by the time she'd given evidence, must have been about two years after the fact. Yep. Um, and she was like, her whole thing was. Her excuse for her poor memory was that she did her um, statement when she was on holidays and, um, you know, when you're on holidays you're really relaxed and, and yeah, that's why I couldn't really remember mm. all the details because it's on holidays. Fair enough. Lucky. She says she was only involved in administering one dose of oral morphine but that and that she carefully syringed the medication slowly into Betty's mouth, making sure she swallowed it all. She, but then she states that she was present when three doses of oral morphine were given. But that was not consistent. So then basically what happens is Betty never gets arrested. Two years has passed and she hasn't been working. She chooses not to work in that time. She's been sacked from Brisbane Hospital, chooses not to work. And then the, I think, I don't know if it, is it APRA? Yeah. So mm. then APRA are like, no, nah, we need to have a discussion about your registration. Yeah. So then gets two years, no nursing, done. That's it. She can reapply to nurse in two years' time. Um, That's it. That's the only outcome. That's the outcome, the outcome. There was never any criminal charges laid against her or the family. Wow. I was thinking about this last night when I was researching. I'm like, this daughter is going to see from this, like from the coroner's, like from the coroner's hearing that she She contributed. Yeah. Which, I mean, her mum was going to die anyway. But Yeah, I know, but. If you're even if your mum was going to die, you just want them comfortable. You don't want to be like, I'm going to give you all the morphine so you die. No, exactly. Like you don't want to kill them. No, and you, I think you want them to be comfortable. Yeah. And like we often will say that when we give, it's a fine line between mm, yeah, exactly. a dose of morphine and you know, like we will say to people, if we give this morphine, we could depress their their breathing to yeah. the point they stop. Yeah. So it's you know, are you the aware balance. of yeah, this? Yeah. Like we, you know, do you think they need it? And like the only other thing, stressing. Yeah. The only other thing that I have failed to mention was that Maura acknowledged that she didn't realise she was having fentanyl as well uh. until after she'd given the dose. So she gave the dose of morphine and then they turned her to change her and she saw, saw the, the patch. Uh. So that was like I think she re- like she realised that it 
she possibly and that she knew though she knew that giving that morphine like she'd explained to the family that giving morphine will like depress yeah. that that respiratory drive and she acknowledged that in all of her statements like i think this is just a good time to reflect on you're a nurse in a hospital but yes. what you do outside of a hospital could have impacts on your life criminal well she actually and she expressed like disdain and and disappointment that her outside life was being like brought into the her hospital life she brought it in though when she sat in that tea room talking about how she just killed her friend's mom i know so it's yeah it made me it made me realize like how okay stupidity for one nothing would have happened anything nothing would have happened nothing would have happened she would have kept her mouth shut the mum wouldn't have even had an autopsy she's palliative yeah and nothing would have there come There was nothing of it. suspicious at the scene. The ambulance and the police officers were quite not. satisfied with the scene. Um, if she hadn't have said it, and the daughter was quite, you know, okay that it had happened and whatever else. Like, so the lesson nobody here is thought, keep your mouth shut. Well, I'm not <laughs> going to say that. I think the lesson here is. Scope okay, of practice. Yeah, scope of practice. But also like if, and I think about this sometimes when people ask me for medical advice. Like, you know, friends will ring you and be like, what do you do about this? I always say go to the ED. Well, yeah. Trust um, your gut. And also, no. yes, trust your mum gut. But also, like, especially when it comes to, like, their family members in hospital and they've got questions for me and things like that, I always think, I can't give you advice. And even over the phone when people ring when you're at work yeah, and people ring and they want medical advice and I'm like, I don't know what drugs you're on. I don't know your medical nah. history. I don't know anything about you. Yep. And this is the thing, like, okay, in at, if I put myself into Maura's shoes – and I come over and help my friend with their yeah. dying mum, okay, I could easily give a dose of morphine. But if that was me, I would probably go in and be like, I really shouldn't be Can I talk to your doctor? Drugs. Let's call the palliative care team. Yeah. Let's get Let's them get here you now. the supports that you need. Let's ring the GP, yeah. find out, get them to come. Like we would probably be more proactive in like engaging those services. Yeah. Then and it's very easy to go, yeah, give him some morphine. Yeah, that'll help her breathing. Yeah. It's but very easy how much to do you, that. But we would say, how much have you already given her? Yes. How much have you given her? When did, because because this we bottle think about says. it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I think it's, um, it's interesting. It's a hard one. It's an interesting, yeah, interesting concept. That was very, that was thought-provoking. Yeah, it definitely had me thinking about like how many nurses practice in a nursing way outside of work. Yes. And we have talked about this no, briefly in the recent – or in off-duty. We're yeah, off-duty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Like, don't, don't ask me. But I think there would be moments where like like exactly like Maura's, a friend's rung in distress yeah. and you want to help them. Yeah. And, y- you know – that, yeah. But then Maura we, acknowledged that she knew what was going to happen, that she yeah. she predicted that it would hasten her death. But maybe we are a bit more – she wasn't medication-endorsed. No. So maybe we're a little bit more critical thinking – a bit more aware. – around the medication side of it than mm. maybe she she was. Yeah. Also, it sounds like she had a bit of a God complex maybe, maybe. as well. I think that's why, like, um, nurse on call and, you know, those medical helplines literally tell everyone to go to the ED. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't, like – it's never clear cut over the phone. No. It's when they like turn up to urgent care and be like, oh, I rang nurse, I'm cool. Oh, of, course of course you did. did. You and I have been Right. I'm always mm. surprised by these. Today's ones aren't necessarily like, Moira's not necessarily a psychopathic killer. I wouldn't she's no. just. She, she just, just thinks just, people should be able to die quicker. Yeah. Because it's enough. easier for the family. <laughs> yeah. There's not much more to say about that one. No. I think. Interesting. I learned a bit more about like coronial hearings and stuff. I'm very interested in how. 
the coroner's never there to point blame, just there no. to find all the answers. And they, they give recommendations. Ugh. Yeah. I love coroner's reports. I definitely think we'll have to do an episode on, like, what to do if you ever get called to coroner's court because they, they called a heap of the nurses mm, that had heard stuff. Yeah. Um, and they called, like, the, the HR people. The only thing that I found that the coroner found that could have been improved was that the cops didn't do any of their own interviews. They just grabbed the paperwork uh, that HR had done when they interviewed the nurses who'd heard it. Rather so than they just cut themselves. and pasted it into the template uh, and literally didn't interview those people themselves. So they might have been able to get some more, more def- info. Yeah, but that mm. um, it literally was left like, oh, well, we can't charge anyone because we've got no proof and nobody knows, like well, no one will talk to us. Yeah. So we can't. We can't prove it. Yeah. As someone who's been involved on the other mm. side of, of the... Did you ever think you could say, I'm not talking? I did. That's exactly what happened. And mm. that was my lawyer said to me, do not talk because then the you're, if you talk, you're doing the police jobs for their, their job for them. Mm. It's their job to prove that you did something wrong. So make them prove it, mm. which they didn't because I just pleaded guilty. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well... I don't know. It's 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 weird when you um when nurses kill outside of work. Like I don't I don't feel this um normally. Like we get so excited and so like I don't know. I feel different this episode. Like I feel like it it was because it was personal. It feels more like no, a true crime episode yeah. than a nurses who kill episode. Yeah, because there's no patient involvement. It was like people they knew. Yeah, people close to them. Mm. Do you know, it reminds me of like Futurama, you know, they have suicide booths. You just walk in and like press a button and you go, you get vaporized. Oh, no, I never watched Futurama. Oh. It's not up my alley. Anyway, I wonder if that will be in the future. Like you can just walk in and get vaporized. <laughs> no. No risk of you living through that one. No. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed another Nurses Who Kill episode. And if you did, um, take a second, go and rate us. Yes. Give us five stars on the podcast platform you listen to us on. It helps the algorithm. Yeah, the algorithm is weird. Beat the algorithm. Beat the algorithm. We appreciate it. We really do appreciate it, actually. We, we do. love We love yeah. our reviews. It's uh, fun seeing our faces in the charts. Yeah. <laughs> Not that it happens all the time. Um, go give us a follow at Instagram at Two Humorous Nurses Podcast or email us your favourite nurse killer to cover for next time at hello at twohumorousnurses.com. Bye. Bye.